reported. Well, uh, welcome to the Angel Wing LLC. This is Jim Harnick here from the TV program. And we are um, uh, welcoming again Dr. Elizabeth Berman in today's uh, video and audio podcast. Uh, we have been contemplating during our dialogues uh, on a positive energy. And uh, yesterday's dialogue really uh, went into a discussion to some extent about sleep and the kind of energy that is used in the way you know, dreams are created, things like that. Uh, so I had some uh, follow-up um, comments and some questions actually to ask Dr. Berman about this. You've obviously talked a lot about expansion and contraction, uh, the way energies flow. You've mentioned it in, in many different ways. Uh, what is your take on sleep and uh, how that all needs to remain balanced and you know the energy that's used in dreams, the experiences people have, it seems to be quite mysterious in many ways. So maybe we can kind of shed some light on that uh, today. Well, immediately I'm aware of I, uh, your comments brought to mind. Um, what Carl Jung, a, a wonderful psychologist, said about dreams. He said that they are the royal road to the unconscious. And over time in doing dream work, both with myself and with others, I began to understand that, at least for me, that royal road is the ability to have my conscious mind interact with my unconscious mind. And this occurred before I ever started a meditation practice. So for me, it was quite miraculous to be able to take the dream images, and there's a certain amount of discipline required to remember your dreams. Um, you start by just having a journal in your bed and the minute you wake up you write everything you can remember about the dream because that memory starts to fade very fast as soon as the mind engages in the waking world. But by working with the images and the symbols in the dreams um, you can gain great insight into your life into how one one way in which your mind works and what's very very powerful as i remember back in those days of doing that kind of dream work i remember that one of the most powerful techniques was to speak or to look at the dream as you were interacting with your memory of the dream and what would come into consciousness as you examined the different parts of the dream was to imagine, believe that every aspect of the dream was some aspect of me. So perhaps I was being chased by someone. I was the one being chased, but I was also the one chasing in, the, in this attempt to interpret the dream. And what's phenomenal for me is to now look all these years later and understand that the more esoteric work I've done in terms of meditative techniques, in terms of just silent turning inward to see the workings of the mind, to see what questions come up and to have the discipline to kind of follow that through to, to gain powerful, powerful insight. That in some ways that dream work was a foundation for this other work. And um, how I'm reminded all roads lead to Rome, right? There are many, many, many pathways to understanding yourself and perhaps taking what people now call radical responsibility for my life. That can I, in fact, begin to 
catch myself when I want to blame somebody or something else for something that's really challenging for me in my life and simply accept responsibility. This is showing up in my life, whether I understand how I created it um, or not, I can deal with it. And the first step in dealing with it is to accept the responsibility it's mine to deal with. So that's very, very powerful. The whole notion of the responsibility to accept it and at the same time to recognize the relationship between that responsibility or the, the experiences of life and then the dream content. Uh, the, the dream content, we all go through, this is very experiential. We are going through it, there's energy involved in it. What is the way of really understanding um, the deeper significance of any powerful dream, or any dream for that matter? So some dreams we are, are so vivid, they're in color in some people's lives, they are, it's almost like a, almost like a REM hallucination, that's what they say, it's, it's more different from having an hallucination, but it's just, you know, it's just happening inside your own mind. It's really something, I mean, it's, it's quite, quite a phenomenon. Uh, what, what is your take on being able to gain insight from a very powerful experience in the dream? My immediate response to that is most all of the spiritual traditions that I'm aware of talk about in one way or another we create our own world we create the world around us and perhaps different traditions um, began to try and teach that at different times so those traditions are culturally laden with certain kinds of language, perhaps, but I think they're all pointing to the same thing, which is whatever the phenomenon of what I call the world is outside of me, I will never know that independent of my interaction with it. And so in that way, I'm creating it. You know, I might look out my window right now and see the sun shining off um, green leaves and be delighted with it. Somebody else might look out the window and see um, heat waves coming up off the sidewalk in the street and not be at all delighted with that vision because they don't like heat so much. Um, so that's a very simple explanation of, of how we create our own world. But I think that the dreams that we awaken to and or remember upon awakening have such powerful images in them that it's something that our unconscious mind is working with. And I would say working with in, in the most um, spiritual terms of this is energy that I don't have direct access to because it's not conscious, and, but it's energy that I'm ready to move, that I'm ready to deal with in this radical, responsibly way of saying, okay, this is my energy. If I'm very, very frightened in this dream, I'm carrying a lot of fear energy around with me and I want to release it. I don't have to have it become a part of who I am and how I identify myself. Yeah, so, so, so that's really one of the most significant pieces, the identification with the experience. You know, we have an experience which is kind of really out of our control. It seems like at nighttime, we don't know where it's coming from. It's just kind of automatically is going on. And once we recognize that, uh, that that experience is something that could potentially change, uh, what do you want to say? About, what do you say about as a psychologist? You've worked with a lot of people in, in your career. What do you say about those who are looking to change the experience at nighttime? So those who are looking to change the experience of their dreams. Yes. Yeah, so for example, they want to have a positive dream. If they're having problems like you know confusions or nightmares and those kinds of problems. 
that's, that's significant. They wanted to get rid of that. They just wanted to have a good quality experience. Okay, I I would I would say to begin with that our mindset, meaning our intention for what we want to happen, how we want to be engaged with this night's sleep is a very powerful thing. And if upon going to bed, we have a very clear intention that we can articulate to ourselves, um, because we really do think in images. We think we think in words, but they're images really. And, and that helps to set in our pre-conscious mind, uh, I would say a predilection or an in, yes, it's an in, intention, but perhaps it, it draws the energy up out of the subconscious that we want to experience in our dream. However, Working with, if somebody wants to work like that in therapy, wants to add dream work to their therapeutic work, one, there's a lot of information on there, out there on how to, on how to dream, on how to do prescient dreaming, how to do all kinds of dreams. So you have to do a little homework and you have to start disciplining yourself to do that. And the second thing is so important that if you're having nightmares, you've got energy in your subconscious that's, that's very contracted, it's affecting you, the emotions you have to uh, associated with that, ex those experiences are very contracted energies and it's important to release those energies out of your energy field. And again, that takes discipline and commitment. Yeah. So exactly. So as our you know our group of individuals in our dialogue and meditations have been contemplating on positivity, what is meant by positive living, etc. There is this connection with the contraction and expansion of energy. So the expansion of energy would be considered to be positive in, in some sense. Uh, uh, and then of course how that impacts the experience during the day and at night. Yes. You know, so, uh, please go ahead. Yeah. Well, contracted energy can have a very positive uh, effect. Um, at another place in, in the angel wing work, we've been looking at the different chakras and, and exploring on a pretty basic level, but I think a profound level, what energies might be stored in these um, this energy field in different places in our body. Yes. And, yeah, and, then, and then there's the whole notion of the blockages within the chakras. We can connect that perhaps. The what? The, the blockages. The well, yes. Block so that's what I'm talking about. That's where I was going with, with the contracted energy. Um, you know, in doing some work, you find something you're focusing on some chakra in your body and and in being able whether you're breathing into it whatever technique you're using to feed healing in empowering energy into that area of your energy field you find perhaps anger coming up or perhaps a feeling of sadness coming up and to be able to acknowledge the energy for what it is um, and not judge it as bad because it doesn't feel great. It can then be released. Now, sometimes in simply being present to the energy and accepting it, simply accepting it, this is an energy that I'm holding in my field, I can release it by accepting it. Sometimes it, it gives us a message, you know, a message of you need to start speaking up for yourself. Um, that's part of why you're feeling so frustrated and, and judgmental, right? Because you're not taking care of yourself. You're just saying either nothing or what you think the other person wants to hear, and you're not honoring the truth that, that, that's yours in that interaction. 
So that's an example of a contracted energy having a very positive effect. It's, it's very interesting that one can look at almost any experience and try to try to view it in a in a light that that makes it positive, or there's something positive yes. that comes out of it. It's what it sounds like what you're saying. Absolutely, absolutely. Energy is neither bad nor good. It's what we do with it, what thoughts we have about it, what emotions we have about it, and what actions we take as a result of that energy. Energy is energy. It's what we do with the energy that has um, painful or expansive. Right, results exactly. for us yeah and, and that's a, that's a key point that we have purview over our energy yes our, the power within the decisions we're making but many people don't recognize that and because it's, it's such a such a very fast process the way the movements are quite fast based on our desires yeah yeah so everything is so intricately intertwined with everything. Um, perhaps that's another way of saying oneness, right? So we're all energy, right? My body is energy. I choose to identify with the consciousness of my body, with the consciousness of my thoughts, with the consciousness of my emotions. And in okay, that- so I got a question. I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I really have a question right at that point. You said when I choose identify with the consciousness of my thoughts or my emotions. Yes. When you use the word choose, can you elaborate on how that is actually done? Because many people feel they just don't have control over their emotions. It just goes, it runs them up. So when you use the word choose, can you uh, further expound upon that? Well, um, because, <clears throat> because of a certain amount of study and active discipline, over the years, I am much more aware of the thoughts that are just constantly running through my mind. I'm certainly more aware of emotions when they occur. And in that awareness, because of the work, I know that I have the ability to choose to feed the thought with attention or to choose to divert my focus to something else that I choose or I decide is better for me as a soul having a human experience. And, it, and that also it really sounds also like one becomes more and more aware of the consequences of any action before performing the action. That's one thing, but, but it also seems to me that as one is um, really being attentive and choosing the kind of experiences we want to have, there is a greater vision of the ramifications all the way around of every thought, every experience. And it also seems to me that the neuroplasticity is occurring. The yep. brain is beginning to change in a different way than its old frameworks, the old things that it was stuck in, trapped in cyclical, harmful uh, cycles, those things really begin to transmute, they, they begin to morph in, or, 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 or they begin to unlock in different ways. Yes, yes. So anytime I have a conscious thought, make a conscious choice as to what I'm going to do with the thought, I can create another thought consciously as opposed to just the subconscious running this monologue that goes on all the time. Um, and that gives me agency or power over where my attention is directed. And over and over again, we've been told from so many different places where we put our attention is what we create in our lives. So if I put my attention on, oh, poor me, this is so hard. I don't know how to move forward in this. Why does everything bad happen to me? 
then I'm going to create more oh poor me experiences. If if I step out of that and or or if I consciously say oh there it goes again there's my oh poor me story showing up. I choose not to do this. I choose to identify myself as somebody who has control and power in their life, not somebody who's totally helpless and a victim. And yes. and in that, the neuroplasticity of that, so whatever the neural networks, right, the neurons that have fired together in the past and have linked now into my oh poor me network, every time I choose not to feed it and to think something else consciously those neurons stay healthy and vibrant but the connection the oh poor me connection dissolves just by not using the network so so so, yeah so that's very interesting that there's a network oh poor me how terrible self-blame shame guilt all all that the pain those are the nuts those are the blocks Right. So well, they're neural networks. They're, they're these yeah. um, well-honed stories that began when we were children, when we had no discernment or ability to understand that all these people who are telling us who we are and who we're supposed to be may not have been that accurate about their vision of us. And so in some ways, we created a self-fulfilling prophecy. If we were the golden child, maybe we did great in school and everybody loved us and supported us. If we were the bad kid in our family, maybe we ended up getting in a whole bunch of trouble, right? Of course, yes. With education about how the mind works and how the brain works, we then are given the insight, the knowledge that we have the tools to change it. Exactly, exactly. And and the consistent use of these tools seems to be a very, like a predominant factor, Dr. Chaita, she's emphasized that again and again, the consistency of regular practice with meditation, reflection, or even prayer, or the five pillars of development. There's a bunch of stuff that she's talked about. You talked about it, about that also. So, so, how does the consistency impact the further development towards self mastery? Well, consistency is what created the negative stories to begin with, right? We consistently right. heard, "Oh, you're a problem child," or "Oh, you know, you'll grow up to be a happy garbage man." Or, or perhaps in another family, a child was brought up being told, you're so beautiful, you can really do anything you want in this world if you want it badly enough, right? So consistently hearing those stories and then them becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy has honed those neural networks in our brain that immediately take us into the old stories of who am I. And these are only stories about our interaction with the external world. We can change the stories by having consistent practices that help us to become aware of what our thoughts are aware of how this energy feels in my body. Wow, my stomach is in a knot. What's going on around me? Wow, I really don't like being with these people. Wow, maybe I can make a choice to limit my time with these people. So that wow, you know, all those levels of insight into what's going on in me as an energy field. Yes then begin to give me the power to say, I'm going to do something different here. So, okay, so let's, let's continue a bit forward from, from that point. Let's say someone actually, you know, uh, like me or whoever, says that I really want to, uh, yes, I want to have more control, more agency, I want to really modify my experiences, etc. 
Um, now let's broaden the picture a bit. Let's say I do that during the waking time awake. But then I also want my sleep experiences to be really good. I, I, you know, I, it's not that we're trying to eliminate dreaming, but uh, we want to really have a good quality experience. We don't want all the confusion and all the madness that goes on you know, in many people's minds. It's like a massive jungle. So to break it down a bit, there are various processes that underlie sleep regulation. Sleep, sleep is also a regulated process. Uh, so the first, there's three different points that I'd just like to ask you about. The first point is that one of the regulatory processes is the homeostatic process mediating the rise of sleep propensity during waking and then it's dissipation during sleep. So, 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 what, so say this again, yeah, Sachin, so, I'm not quite clear. So, so I'm awake right now. Yes. At, at, at some point, maybe around 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. or some point, the homeostatic mechanisms within the brain and the body are going to mediate the rise of sleep propensity. Okay. Right? Yes. And then, so that happens while I'm awake, actually. Yes. So, so I want to ask you about that, because as we increase in meditation and self-reflection and and energy harnessing and all these ideas that you and Dr. Chetna have been talking about, as well as we're talking inside the dialogue, it seems to me that the experience even of sleep propensity is going to modify, is going to be a somewhat different. As a, and so if I, if I had really a tough and just a very terrible day, you know, I, my, that sleep propensity, that transition eventually into, into sleep, it's just a very low energy, very, very draining kind of a transition, uh, as opposed to a very healthy, very awakened, very uh, uh, open, positive transition. So the quality of sleep propensity is what I wanted to ask you about. <laughs> so I, I've really not even heard that term used in that way before, but it's lovely. And what I would say is probably for me, trying to deal with some a, a new term used in this way uh, I go to how aware am I of my body and what is the kind of care I'm giving my body because human bodies go through cycles and I would assume that sleep propensity has to do with the production of melatonin which has to do with um, many other variables, one being a dark, darkened space. And so to take the responsibility to find out what are the things environmentally that promote healthy, natural sleep? What are the behaviors that I can engage in to support my body into falling asleep in a natural, relaxed way. And so the internet is filled with sleep suggestions. Sleep hygiene is a term I hear used around that. So to step up and take responsibility to do the things both externally in my environment, setting up my bedroom, my sleep space in a way that promotes sleep, as well as what am I doing in terms of when am I eating, in terms of when do I wanna to go to sleep, because the amount of undigested food is, affects your sleep. Um, am, am I exercising or looking at a, a, a screen right before I go to bed, all of those things are contraindicated for restful sleep. So there's a level of taking responsibility to educate yourself on what does my body need for good restful sleep? Emotionally, what do I need to be doing for myself to give myself a window to go from wake to sleep so that I just don't drop into sleep in an exhausted state. 
having watched gosh only knows what kind of stuff on a computer or a TV screen, which is going to have the images that are going to be alive in my mind when I fall asleep. So my mind is then going to take experiences, energies from the day that haven't really been consolidated yet because sleep is a time where we consolidate memory into from short-term memory into medium to long-term memory storage. So all of those things require that I take some response, not some, I take responsibility for the quality of my sleep and I make lifestyle changes to support the kind of sleep I want to have because just taking sleeping aids does not really change what's going on in your brain. I mean, it changes what's going on in your brain, but it doesn't build new neural networks that promote sleep from a healthy standpoint in a healthy way. Well, yes, definitely. In listening to your uh, interesting exposition on this, what was coming into my mind was that just as we want best quality experiences while we're awake, I'm not sure that people really give that much attention to same kind of thing for for the for the for the nighttime experience. It is an experience also because we're going through the REM REM cycles. We're going to dream, you know, and many of the theories in sleep research suggest that we have to dream. Yeah. Uh, if you, if you don't dream, some people will go mad. I mean, that's, you know, that's that, that can happen. S- that's sleep. Are also there. Yeah, sleep deprivation so, is one of the major um, brainwashing techniques, torture techniques. Right. Right, right, exactly. So there is a place in the 24-hour cycle for the REM experience, rapid eye movement, the experience, REM experience. And it also seems to me that if we are living or when we are attentive and live a very integrated, balanced life during the waking time, waking yes. world, that entire transition process that where, where that wanting to go to sleep, the sleep propensity, Yes. That 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 process is a energetic process rather yep. than an energy draining process, and, yes. and, and that seems to me to be the real. It's like I'm almost like a master key into into transformation of the REM world. Yes, yes, I would say that was very well spoken, very well articulated. Um, Yeah, because our human bodies are truly a miracle. And if you look at a baby, if it gets enough food, right, and and it's not in pain because its diapers haven't been changed or something, sleeps very easily. Sleep comes easy. And so, in fact, in those early months, it's critical for brain development that a lot of easy sleep is going on for, for a newborn. So it's not like we have, to re, we have to reinvent the wheel here. We already know how to sleep. Our bodies know how to sleep. They need the support of a healthy lifestyle. I would say perhaps disrupted sleep, nightmares, night terrors are a huge indication that we need to make some pretty radical changes in our lifestyle. Yes, exactly. And um, if, if individuals can really grab hold of these ideas, what are some of the very basic steps? Because this is a, obviously quite an extensive subject. Basic steps to take in ensuring the best quality transition to the dream world, to the nighttime world? I would say that, one, you sleep in a place that has a sense of coherent energy in it. Ah, On, On one level, that simply means you don't have piles of dirty clothes all over the room. There's a clean coherent energy in the space no matter well, how they say, right? 
cleanliness is next to godliness. Well, yeah. How how many times do we have to be reminded of it, right? In in that way. So everything is energy. The energy in the room that you sleep in is going to be chaotic if if nothing is has its own place and so it never ends up in the same place if you're doing a lot of intense intellectual work in the room you're trying to sleep in the there's going to be that intense kind of intellectual energy which is counterproductive to falling into an easy sleep mode so all so I would say you start with cleaning up the room you sleep in right. and per, if it at all possible the the uh, the sleep hygiene people tell us you do two things in the room you sleep in you sleep and you have sex you, you don't do anything else right <laughs> so that when you walk in the room you feel relaxed, you feel the energy of being able to be present to either sleeping or engaging in sensual activity. Well, well exactly. And see, that, goes, that also connects very well with the whole experience of intimacy with one's partner or however it's done. That, that experience can also be very healthy and very, very yes. relaxing and and it can be a very connected and very expansive experience rather than, I mean, I hate to use the colloquial phrase, phrase, you know, the wham, bam, thank you, man, that, that whole idea of just finishing the experience. And I, 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 I don't mean to be you know, uh, kind of uh, emphasizing too much on that, but, but there is something to be said for the overall energy of the room and energy within oneself, another person, and the cherishing of any experience of life. Exactly. Um, over the years, I've heard it said in many different ways from different traditions that to be able to truly love a partner prepares you to understand and experience divine love. That yes. human love as a goal to be pure as pure as you can in human love now human love is different than divine love but if you work at it as love not as um just sex just right on pleasure right exactly great it's not necessarily an avenue to pleasure although it can be incredibly pleasurable it's a it's a doorway into experiencing divine love which which speaks to the broader idea of cleanliness and keeping everything yes in and getting your life in order and getting yes. all these pieces together so that when we are ready to even engage in a pleasurable experience it is not a fragmentary experience it yes. is a very wholesome experience Yes, and I would just offer that um, our senses are given to us to learn how to navigate the, the world around us, right? But in, the in different practices of meditation and contemplation, we learn to discipline ourselves to draw the energy of the senses inward. And then the senses begin to educate us, to offer us experiences which educate us into our true nature as an energetic being so much larger than just the physicality. And, and, and there's no greater indicator than how we feel when we're about to fall asleep. Yes. I mean, that's our direct first-person indicator of our sleep propensity. Yeah, we have the yeah. propensity is rising. Okay, I want to go to sleep. Want to go to sleep. But, but see, notice the energy flow. There's almost like a like quite a bit of a drain there that's happening. People go to sleep drained, as opposed to going to sleep just to rejuvenate without the experience of being drained. And, and that's the interesting part. Yes, and I just thought when you said that, I thought about 
wouldn't it be lovely, and I'm just going to own this, if when I get into bed, my consciousness is, one, I want to have a good sleep experience, right? And I want to serve my body in the mo most optimal way that sleep can serve my body and my brain. Wouldn't that be a wonderful intention to yes, have exactly. as your head hits the pillow? And you it's could perfect. add a couple of deep relaxing breaths to that intention. And in that way, you're bringing all of your consciousness and awareness to setting yourself off on a good journey of sleep. Which is another way to accept or to take on radical responsibility. Yes, exactly. My sleep is going to be, I take charge of my sleep and yeah. I'm going to put out what I think I need in sleep tonight. Well, well exactly. Now, now there, now, so I just have a couple of follow-up. I mean, we could talk about this for probably <laughs> the next 20 hours. I mean, there's so much to actually ask you about this. <laughs> Quite a bit more time. Uh, but what's interesting here is that there are individuals who are quite meditative. They have gone further and further into meditation. Uh, and then they can, they, they can at some point seem like they can gain some level of mastery over the dreaming itself. Oh yes, so, yes, you can do that, and and there are courses you can take in lucid dreaming. Right, exactly, exactly. So as the progression occurs into this, there is the the onset of the dream experience. And these are called sleep spindles, you know, as, as you know, from the REM cycles and from the different PEG diagrams and all that. There are these flashes of this experience that show up. And then you can talk about, you know, hypnopompic and hypnodogic and all those, all those kinds of experiences are, are, are certainly there. There are these flashes of experience. It's very interesting. Someone's really lying down. They're just present. Without the energy drainage, there's energy harvesting and there's just relaxation of the body. It seems to me that there will be awareness of those sleep, those initial sparks of those images popping up. What do you say about this? Well, I, I, this is not a field I've done a lot of work in. I did my dream work a long time ago, a long time ago. And, and the research was in a diff very different state. But I would say that you know, sleep, good sleep. And, and by, I'm going to define what I mean by good sleep. Sleep that energizes and replenishes the body and the brain. So that if we take responsibility for the condition our body and brain, i.e. the thoughts now, right, that, that come from neural networks in the brain. If we take responsibility for their state, their condition, that then we're going to be able to have work towards putting an op, a body that's optimally prepared to go into a natural sleep cycle. And the more aware we are during our waking day, the more aware we will be during the sleep time. There are many traditions that talk about there's wake, there's sleep, and then there's a period of consciousness where your body is at rest, but you're very aware. Yes, yes, exactly. And that, that, is, that seems to be like a doorway into Maybe the higher dimension yes, or something yes, beyond yes, yes, yes. our usual experience. Yes, yes. And and as as I contemplate that, right, and, and ha have had experiences of that over time, what I understand is being a once you're in that state while your body is at rest, you're not distracted by all of the sensory input from the environment. 
And so it's much easier for the consciousness to rise in what we could call the supra-consciousness as opposed to the unconscious or the subconscious or the conscious. Yes, yeah, so, so really, so in, the, in, in perhaps the ideal sense, we'll use that phrase, there really would be a, a, an experience of REM that is, that is very positive, very, it's a good quality experience, whatever that may be from just one's personal life. But then, but then that would shift into something that is much beyond that because there is so much aliveness, awareness. Yes, within. yes. I would say, I would call this transcendent experiences. Yes. Transcendent in the sense that we have no memory of anything like this ever happening before. Right, right, right. right. exactly. It's something new that seems to show up. Totally. And yet Absolutely. we know that, <laughs> how do I, I, I'm trying to condense so much into a couple of sentences. Yeah. We know that we don't create anything. We create everything, right? Radical responsibility. If it shows up in my life and my dreams or my experiences during the body's resting time are also of my creation. So who knows where we're drawing the information from? In people who believe in reincarnation, it's so easy. We've had lots of lifetimes we don't even remember, and we've had lots of experiences, and those experiences can show up during these times. Perhaps we've been much more evolved consciously than we currently are now in this lifetime, in another lifetime. That information's still a part of our energy field. And perhaps that's what's being accessed in these transcendent states. Right, right, exactly. And so those are the further evolutions that could happen eventually. But you know, of course, for most people, just that good, balanced, harmonious, homeostatic, you know, regulatory experience for mind, body, and everything is in sync is really what is sought after. And then beyond yes. that, other things may happen. Yes. Well, I think that once we start taking the responsibility for the condition our body is in, the condition our thought processes are in, you know, the habit patterns we have of identifying with certain stories about ourselves that when we think them over and over, we then just create more of the same experience in our life, that when we start taking responsibility over that, then yeah, yeah. so much starts to come into coherence because right, right. it's like we've been in a boat with no rudder, right? And no, or, or no captain to guide it. And the responsibility is a rudder to help us steer the boat of, our, through, of us through our life. Excellent. That's, a, that's a remarkable way of putting it. I've never really heard that analogy before. Well, I so just, we, I never have either. It just happened. <laughs> it just happened, right? But yeah. that's just my mom in the background here. Hi. Yeah, so, <laughs> we're some contractors doing some work here, so that's, that's what that is. Uh, but it, it's, it's a powerful, it's a very, very powerful idea. It's a very, very powerful idea that the responsibility we have allows us to navigate experience we are wanting yes yet i would say navigate ourselves into the creation of the experience we want exactly exactly right yeah so yeah that that really goes back to the the sense that we are creative beings we have creativity and and we can and we can create what we are looking to create yes Yes. So, and that takes a disciplined mind to keep refocusing, not on what we're currently experiencing, but what we're creating in the future. They talk about it as creating a future memory because we're planting the seed of this thing growing into fruition in our lives. Yes, absolutely. Because it, it is, it is a whole notion of, knowledge or wisdom in seed form 
Yes. That grows into yes. the tree of knowledge, the tree of wisdom, the tree yes. of enlightenment. I mean, that, that and it has to be fed in order to grow. So if we're feeding the seeds of what's wrong with me, I never get it right, or my gosh, you know, Murphy's Law, if the peanut butter sandwich falls down, it's always gonna fall the peanut butter side to the floor. Whatever those oh poor me stories. That we, I, I certainly have spent a good part of my life engaging in them and I have to catch myself now when I start to blame somebody else for something I don't like in my life. And, but it takes diligence to keep coming back to, this is, what am I gonna do here? I have power here, I have power of where I'm gonna put my attention. What am I gonna do? Yes, and that is going to take individuals out of those energy vampire loops and negative thought loops and those old cycles that are just stuck that humanity seems to be stuck in all these old cycles only. Yeah, and it's created a lot of pain and suffering on the planet right now. Exactly. Well, and, and Dr. Berman, <laughs> we are at 51 minutes or so. Okay. I want to really express my heartfelt gratitude to you mm. for your wisdom, your time, your dedication. That's the real blessing that is present uh, that Angel Ling is trying to provide to humanity. Uh, it is a great honor for me to have this conversation uh, with you. I think it's such a blessing for everybody who's going to listen to this because the wisdom uh, you have shared, or wisdom that has been shared, it's not like me or you, but yeah, yeah, there's yeah, just yeah. wisdom all around us. Yes. We're trying to tap into it, you know, and, and they're asking everyone to tap into that in their own way. So I yes. want to really express my gratitude to you. Do you have any final comments? Yes, that Angel Wing provides this fertile, fertile ground for a magical journey of discovery, self-discovery. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. All right. So with that, uh, look forward to more podcasts. Again, that was Elizabeth Berman, Dr. Elizabeth Berman, psychologist uh, in uh, Wilmington, Delaware, and we'll be hearing much more from her. You know, we'll, there, there's just no end to this exploration. And that's the beauty of it. We want to keep evolving further. So thank you for your time. And we will, we will see you next time in the next podcast. Thank, thank you, you. The recording has stopped. There we go. Great job. <laughs> How great is that? Okay.